Would you speak his name with me? But as you speak his name with someone in mind, maybe a nation of this world in mind, a situation in mind, a matter of your heart in mind, would you say his name into, over, through that situation? Jesus, Jesus, look at that face, look at that situation, Jesus, Jesus. The strongest one-word prayer that humans can ever pray. When it is from the affection and the loyalty of our hearts, when we say his name, we are agreeing with what he wants. We are acknowledging his power to do whatever it is that he knows need to be done. Jesus. Jesus. This phrase this morning, for your thoughtful consideration, getting you ready for greatness is trouble's job. Getting you ready for greatness is trouble's job. You will be hard-pressed to find a single individual in all of your Bible, used of God, a marker in their generation for the things of God, who was not also a person at some season, and for some of them for extended seasons in their lives were marked by trouble, trouble. We would maybe simply define the word trouble as being that which unsettles your heart, that which speaks of a threat to the status quo of your heart trouble. It comes in all kinds of wrappers. It seems to know, show no real favoritism. We can all be victims. But trouble is humbling. Trouble is humbling. Trouble is humbling. But the Lord says in two very specific places in the New Testament, in your New Testament, in James chapter 4 and 1 Peter chapter 5, the same verse is repeated, the same statement is repeated. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. James says that. Simon Peter says that. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So if trouble is humbling, what if trouble is just setting you up for a blessing? What if 
trouble when it has its work to humble us is setting us up for a blessing. Or we could put it this way. Getting you ready for greatness is trouble's job. I want you to find your way again this morning to 1 Samuel. We're not quite through with King David and what was going on with him as described for us in chapter 30 of 1 Samuel. You will remember from last week or so uh, this account of this chapter in David's life. He has been running from Saul the king of Israel, for the better part of 10 to 12 years. Jealousy had enraged Saul because David had been named the next king of Israel. Saul would, however, rule for a period of 40 years. There was no term limitation on the kings. They just died. For 40 years, Saul reigned. So this must have been in the last quarter or so of Saul's reign. But David was anointed by Samuel, the prophet, as the next king of Israel. And he was anointed with oil in the presence of his brothers and father and mother there in Bethlehem. And the scripture records that the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. His encounter with Goliath came sometime after that, probably shortly after that. So, so David, on toward the end of his teenage years, had become a national hero, a public name. And the more popular that David got, the more uh, his recognition spread among the people, the more jealous Saul became. And Saul was determined to kill him. On toward the end... Of, those, of that period in David's life where he was being hunted by Saul, the worst of the worst happened to David. By now he had a family, or he had, had two wives. He had accumulated uh, around him, or had been gathered to him, about 600 men who were at odds with Saul just as he was, who were in debt, who were embittered, just a ragtag bunch of ragamuffin young men. And they gathered around David, and David became, as the scripture would say, captain over them. The only place for safety at that period of time was not in Israel, but it was in the Philistine camp. The king of the Philistines thought that David had become a traitor to Saul and Israel, and so he gave shelter to David and his men, gave them a town to live in or a city to live in named Ziklag. That's where we find 1 Samuel 30. David and his men had been out with the Philistines and accompanying accompanying them on the next battle that they would be engaged in, and that that would be with the Israelites. And Saul and Jonathan, the two other sons of Saul, would also be killed in that fight. David and his men were sent 
away, sent back, sent back to Ziklag because Saul's commanders were fearful that in the fight against Israel, David would turn and from the rear would be ambushing the Philistines, and so they were told to go back. That's some important background. David is only days now. He doesn't know it, but is only days now away from the way being clear for him to ascend the throne, first in Judah, he would rule there for two and for seven and a half years, and then in then in Israel in, in, in Jerusalem over all of Israel. He would reign for 40 years. He was 30 years old, the scripture records, when he became king in the first sense of Judah. He's just days away from that happening. He doesn't realize it. He's about to break free of everything Saul had leveraged against him. And Satan evidently was aware of what was coming. And so the most bitter and ruthless attack that Satan could muster against David was perpetrated when the forces of the Amalekites attacked Ziklag took the wives of the men, took their sons and their daughters, took all their possessions, and burned the city to the ground with fire. Now, you, you can't really appreciate this if we're just reading it as a history book, not really trying to get into the hearts and minds and emotions of the characters. But the scripture records in 1 Samuel 30 that when the men saw what had happened, Burned with fire, Ziklag was. Their wives, their sons, and daughters had been taken captive. Verse 4, 1 Samuel 30, verse 4. Then David and the people who were with him, the men, the fighting men who were with him, lifted up their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahinoam and Abigail. Verse 6. Moreover, David was greatly distressed. Distressed is an emotional word. It is not a mental, cranial word. It is an emotional word. David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. For all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. We camped out on that for a good while last week. But we need to bring it back up for the purpose of our discussion today. Getting you ready for greatness is trouble's job. David was fixing to become the crowned king of Judah and eventually Israel. David was getting ready for, he was in the final days of preparation for the place that God had picked him out to serve. But one last brutal blow from Satan had come his way. And yet, with his wives gone, with the children, all their possessions gone, his, his men turning on him, somehow, some way, he found the way to encourage himself, to strengthen himself in the Lord. 
I want to list for you about four things this morning that God used trouble to accomplish in David's life, that he will also use trouble for the purpose of accomplishing in our lives. I believe that this is intended to be a wonderful, flaming message of truth from God's heart into your hearts who are walking through trouble, walking through things that you didn't cause, you didn't ask for. It has just happened, but it has not just bruised your heart, it has blown out your heart. David had known disappointments. He had known rises and falls. He had known his, his first wife, Michael, being taken from him and given to another man. He had known what it was to have to live just the best he could, get by the best he could. And yet he carried within his heart, I'm, I am to be the next king of Israel. He could have given up. He could have quit with all that was happening to him. But I'm telling you, folks, God will use trouble in your life to shape your character as a champion. And you will never walk in the realm of a champion unless you are willing to humble yourself and stay put in the place of trouble's humility with it fashioning you, developing you, clarifying you in the ways that only trouble can. Number one, trouble pushes you and me to find encouragement in the Lord because nothing else will lastingly do the job. Liquor lasts as long as the liquor is in the system. A person's encouragement and attaboys and building you up can last only as long as you're in the presence of that person. But what happens when you're by yourself? What happens when the lights go out? What happens when it's just you by yourself with your head on the pillow and nobody else able to speak into you? Trouble, trouble will cause you and me to press in, to find the presence of the Lord. I'm talking about the felt presence of the Lord. I'm not talking about an academic knowledge of God is here, God loves, God is good, God is kind, God cares about me. As if it is the same kind of thing you would say about an Abraham Lincoln or you would say about somebody dead, gone, alive, or someone who's alive but is way off out there somewhere, and you know those things are true about them, but they have no impact on your heart. David knew that it wasn't enough for him to just know some things about God. He needed to feel some things from God. I don't back up on that. You're saying you're getting too touchy-feely. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I am. We do what we feel like doing most of the time, not necessarily what we know we ought to do. 
And when the Lord Jesus Christ rescued you and saved you, he didn't just die to save your brain or died to, to forgive our past, but he died and forgave and was raised from the dead off of the cross, out of the tomb alive, exalted, and from there he poured out his spirit so you could feel his power encouraging you from the inside out. So David did three or four things, we believe, to encourage himself from the Lord. But he was having to do these things, not with the promise of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost given to him. If David was able to do these things prior to Pentecost, what in the world ought you and I be, ought to be able to do after Pentecost and the pouring out of the Spirit? He reminded himself of the victories that the Lord had fought and won for him. Psalm 27, written before this happened, evidently, David pointed out, he was talking about, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? Evildoers came to devour my flesh, but they stumbled and fell. The evildoer, the, the evildoer on steroids that came to devour David's flesh was Goliath, a nine and a half foot tall giant. He said to David, the shepherd boy with the, with the staff and the sling and the rocks, getting ready to throw his direction, you come to me and I will feed your flesh. <laughs> to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. But David, as he remembered that encounter with Goliath, understood it was Goliath who went down. It was David who exalted over him. And he understood that it was by means of the Lord's power, by means of the Lord's strength rising up in him, giving force to that rock, giving skill to that arm, giving the character and the courage to talk Goliath down and speak the truth to Goliath. He remembered what the Lord has brought us through. I, I got off on that for a while last week. Tell me your story. Keep telling your story. Keep telling your story. Tell yourself your story of what the Lord has delivered us from. We're not perfect. Everything hadn't been completely straightened out and all the dots connected and all the questions answered. But you're changed. You're different. Many of you would stand up and say, I would be dead today the way I was headed, but for the Lord stopping me, rescuing me, changing me, giving me the sense of his mercy in my life. Mercy rewrote my life, pastor. I've heard so many say, I didn't get what I deserved. I was given what I didn't deserve by the mercy of God. David encouraged himself from the Lord more than likely by remembering battles that the Lord had fought and won for him. We mentioned also that he encouraged himself and the Lord by being determined to seek the presence of the Lord, to find the presence of the Lord. Psalm 27, David says, when you said to my heart, O Lord, seek your face, I said back to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. You can't have a face in the room without the presence of the person being in the room too. Do I have a witness? We're not talking about disembodied spirits here. The Lord is saying, you seek my presence, you seek my presence, you seek my presence. It doesn't matter if you're in a crowd of 1,500, all the hands raised and dancing in the aisles and singing the same song together, or you're by your lonesome. Nobody else around you. Squatting down under a mesquite tree in the middle of hot, dry web county, South Texas. Wherever it is, the Lord knows where you are. And when you 
respond to his appeal, his call. Seek my face, David. Long for my presence, David. I, I don't know how I'm going to say this and it, and it get through. Somehow I just feel like folk are hearing that and well, I've heard that, I've heard that. If you hadn't experienced it, you hadn't heard it. If you have not known what it is to feel in your presence, the presence of God, loving you, blessing you, he may be convicting us and needing to straighten us out of something But it's his presence, it's his presence, it's his presence, it's his presence. He's not stuck in Rome. He's not stuck in Nashville. He's not still hanging on a cross. He's not still in a tomb. He's alive and he's in this room. And he will make his presence known where you are. You encourage, David encouraged himself in the Lord. He remembered the day that Goliath fell by the power of God through his life. And he had a longing, a longing, yearning to just be in the presence of his God. Because he knew that if he got there, he would sense in the Lord's presence the fullness of the Lord's joy. At his right hand, David would say, at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Folks, I don't understand it. I don't know how it happens. But I'm telling you on the authority of the Word of God that when all hell has broken out against you, when trouble of the worst kind comes rushing at your face, the Lord wants you to know that if you will cry out, Lord, I need your presence. I need to feel your presence. I need to sense your presence. He will not disappoint you. Jeremiah 29. If you seek for me with all your heart. Not answers to prayer. Not first and foremost, fix this, fix this, fix that person, stop this other. No. No. You seek him. You seek the one who is the giver, but you're going to keep seeking him whether he gives or not at that point in time. That's the difference. David would say in Psalm 27, Saul's still arrayed against him, all the things that would need to change and would change, and they're about to change at this point of the chronology of David's life, but they hadn't changed then. And the Lord said to him, David, right here in the middle of it, You long for my presence. You seek my presence. And David's heart said, Lord, that's what I'm going to do. And then he began to talk about how that the Lord would hide him in his dwelling place. That the Lord would lift lift him up and put his feet on a rock. And he would be shouting praises unto the Lord in that tent, in that place where nothing had changed. All was still cruel. Saul was still mean, but David had found encouragement from the presence of the Lord. Folks, I've been in too many hospital rooms. I've been in too many settings where there were desperate situations where there would be this thing happening to folks. They may be about to breathe the breath of the last few days. But instead of it being despair, instead of it being hopelessness, instead of it being, where's God? 
the sense of his presence filling an ICU room. The sense of his presence being made known in hallways and waiting rooms for families together. I'm telling you. Don't you say this can't happen to you. You hadn't sought it. Seek it. Lord, I'm seeking your presence. Without one thing changing, without asking for one more intervention, seek him. Seek him. That's what Paul will say. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with asking. Here he's saying, you go ahead and ask. And then he says, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will move in, move on your heart to guard you, guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. I don't think I can overstate this. What's lacking in some of your experiences or we want to give up, we want to quit, it just hadn't changed, nothing's different, is that what is the most absent is not what you feel like you've got to have to fix it, but what is most absent is the felt presence of Jesus in the place where you are. Scripture will say, Paul will write, but your body is speaking to believers, your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. David would have to try to find the Holy of Holies. The tabernacle was, was to some degree still in existence. Solomon's temple hadn't been built yet. David would have to go to another place to try to find the presence of the Lord. And even though he had to go to another place, there would be the sense of the Lord manifesting his presence to David where he was. But you are the Holy of Holies. You are where the Spirit of Jesus dwells on this earth. And what he longs to do is to make his presence known more and stronger and warmer, warmer and livid within our hearts. So here's David. The city where they were living burned to the ground. Not even knowing if the wives and children were still even alive and not knowing where to go to look for them. Supernaturally miraculously, God brings encouragement back to David. David strengthened himself in the Lord. So that's, that's one thing trouble will do. Thank you, trouble. Thank you, trouble. Thank you, trouble. Thank you, Mr. Trouble. Thank you, Miss Trouble. Thank you, you folks. Tr- you know. Thank you, trouble. Because what has resulted in my life, in your life, is that that has, that has pushed me. That has pushed me to find my encouragement in the Lord. Stop right there. Stop right there. Because somewhere with our brains, we're getting hit with this idea, well, when God answers my prayer, I'll be encouraged. What if his answer is bigger What if he wants to show you something about him of the greatness and the warmth and the life and the nearness of his presence before and without any of your prayers being answered? Except that, Lord, come here. Make your presence known. Make your presence known. Make your presence known.
That, that's textual, okay? That, that's consistent with, with the, the biblical record. Nothing had changed. Nobody had been rescued yet. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. On the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God poured out. Simon Peter and the others who had cowed in fear for weeks leading up to that, out of fear of the Jews and what the Jewish leadership would do to them because of what they saw happen to Jesus. But on the day of Pentecost, folks, this is you. This is me. This is us. We're not old covenant with David. We can learn some things out of the Old Testament and truths that would be applicable. But, but the heart of it is what God did in David back then, the Lord by his spirit being poured out upon Peter and into Peter transformed him from a coward and discouraged and afraid and paralyzed in fear where he was at Caiaphas' courtyard, denying Jesus three times. And on the day of Pentecost, he's fearlessly, articulately, boldly speaking of Jesus, speaking of Jesus, speaking of Jesus, filled with the presence of the exalted Christ. This Jesus raised the right hand of the Father, has poured forth the promise of the Father. And then he would say in, at the end of Acts 2 that, that this promise is for you and all your children, as many as the Lord our God shall call unto himself. He wasn't talking about the Calvary, about Calvary. He wasn't talking about the blood. He wasn't talking about the resurrection. He was talking about this outpouring of the Spirit, the presence of the exalted Christ into the hearts of real, ordinary people just like we are that would transform us from the inside out, not shackle us with another whole set of religious rules called Christian behavior, that are outside and not inside. Peter and John arrested for their preaching in the temple when the lame man was healed. They gathered together, and it's recorded in Acts chapter 4. Stay with me. I'm trying to bring this from the old to the new, and I'm praying we're hearing this. Peter and John, when they were released, went to their brethren and in Acts 4, it says that they lifted up their voices together and, and they prayed. And this is a summary of the poor. Lord, will you grant your bondservants boldness to preach your word, to speak your word? Because they, had, they, they, were, they were human. They had the treasure and earth and vessel. They saw those same faces arrayed against Jesus, now arrayed against them, threatening them, don't speak anymore, don't speak anymore. And their prayer was, Lord, grant fresh boldness to us while you extend your, send your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place in the name of your holy servant Jesus. And the scripture records, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and went out to speak the word of God with boldness. They were filled with the sense of the presence of Jesus. They were filled with the sense of the presence of Jesus. They were filled with the sense of of the presence of Jesus. Somebody say amen. I'm going to keep saying this. They were filled with the sense of the presence of Jesus. That is where encouragement, that is our birthright, that is our opportunity to trust the Lord for and to ask him for comes into play. So what the Lord wants more to give you than the fussing and fighting stopping. Wants to give more to you than some particular something being solved and settled and answered. 
(laughs) is that you would right in the middle of your trouble have realized that trouble was allowed to be for the purpose of pressing you into closer and more of the God who wants you to know his presence in your life. Sometimes folks want preachers to give formulas and two plus twos and here's how you get your trick, here's how you get God to jump over a bar. Sometimes the Lord just lets us be miserably disappointed because nothing seems to happen because he wants to give you something more and better and bigger. And it's the sense in your heart that even if nothing changes, you have been refreshed, you have been encouraged, you have been strengthened to be able to get up again and step into that place of authority he's given you knowing that he has you, he's in you, He's with you. He is your strength. Trouble pushes us to find encouragement in the Lord. David was going to need that. David was going to need that when he became king. There would be more battles fought. There would be more difficulties to be faced. He needed to come through trouble with this being settled in his heart, and it did get settled. That, Lord, what I need most of and more of is your presence in my life. So the Lord could trust him with, with being the king. The Lord could trust him with being a ruler among a major nation in those days. And, and, and it, wouldn't, it wouldn't cause him to go crazy. It wouldn't cause him to lose it in pride. Trouble had taught him to press in the sense of the presence of his God. I, I just got to keep coming back to that just one more time, like one more shot at it. There's a man listening to me. Well, that's my wife. You're talking about my wife. No, I'm not. <laughs> Whoever you are, I'm talking to you. David was a military ruler. He wasn't a preacher. He, 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 he wasn't the head of a theology department or a Bible school or a seminary. He was a warrior. He was a fighter. He would eventually be a businessman and so forth and so forth. And the Lord made his presence known to David. Don't sell yourself short, sir. There's some things that you'll only know as the Lord by his spirit empowers you to know and to do. There's some things as we move into, more into the destiny the Lord has for us, as, as David would understand that, that the reason he knew he had to stop and seek the Lord is because he knew he was all spirit. That the only reason that he had what he has was because he was a spirit in a body. Not a body with a spirit. He was a spirit in a body. That's who you are. If any man be in Christ, woman be in Christ is a new creation. The old things passed away. The new things have come. You are a spirit raised to life by the power of the spirit when the Lord saved you. Dead in our trespasses and sins, but alive now. Alive. Our spirit's alive. These bodies are decaying. They're going to go away one day. But your spirit stays new and fresh and strong. (laughs) All right. All right. So don't you pass this off on somebody else. The Lord wants you to hear this, that you can, when you're driving in your truck, going to work, 
when you're sitting at that computer screen, when you're having to deal with all the stuff that's coming in through the multimedia communication with you, that even in that place, you can be saying, Lord, I don't know what to do, but what I do know is that I need you. Would you make your presence known? Would you make, would you make your presence known? Men and women in the workforce who understand how to pray that way excel and are used powerfully in the lives of other people. They may not become the head of a Fortune 500, but in the process, they're doing things that are far more eternal than the things that are just done to make bucks and, and, and build buildings. It's that in the, you're speaking into the hearts of people. There is a Jesus, and he loves you, and he cares about you, and I'm going to pray for you. And they're looking at you because there's stability and there's strength and a sense of direction in your life where everything else is going crazy. Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. Encourage me. Encourage me. I've heard some amazing stories of men who have just been drop-kicked through the goalpost of life, you know, booted out of their company. But as they go, for the character that they were, something changed. It wasn't necessarily that they had done anything wrong. But on their way out, or, or they retire, on their way out, it's as if ones who have been in leadership of the company come to them and say, we don't know what we're going to do without you. Well, they weren't talking about their brain necessarily, though they were skilled in that area, certainly, and to a large degree. But it's that we don't understand how we're going to make it without the glue that your heart brings to this situation. They may not even know Jesus, may not even have a Bible, but I'm telling you, folks, there's something about somebody who has the life of the Lord at work in them and flowing out through them that makes a difference, that makes a difference in lives. All right, stop right there, pastor. Let's go on to point number two. Number one, trouble pushes you to find encouragement in the Lord. Secondly, trouble pushes you to pursue people or pushes you to people who know God. Trouble pushes you to people who know God. Can I say that one more time? Trouble pushes you to people who know God. Part of that is because we find out real quick when trouble of this dosage hits a life, ordinary folks, ordinary pew sitters, verse quoters, song singers, don't have what, it's, what it takes to speak into your life when all hell has broken loose. Trouble has a way of pressing us into, looking for, seeking to find and desiring to attach ourselves to ones who don't just know about God, but they know Him. So where you get that? Look at verse 7, Psalm 130, verse 7, or Psalm 30, excuse me, 1 Samuel, verse 30, chapter 30, verse 7. Then David, look, then David said to Abiathar, this is after David strengthened himself in the Lord his God, then David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, please bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. 
And David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? And he said, The Lord said to him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and you shall surely rescue all. Who was Abiathar? Abiathar was the only surviving son of evidently the high priest functioning in that role under Saul's rule. Father's name was Ahimelech. When David was fleeing from Saul, he went to the town where the priests, there were 85 priests, at least that many, living in the town with their families. David went there for help. Ahimelech gave him Goliath's sword, didn't have a sword, so that's what he had, and refreshed him, gave, gave some supplies and so forth. When Saul found out what Ahimelech had done and the priests at, at Nob had done, he sent troops to utterly destroy the city. The scripture specifically records the, the wives, the children, and the infants were all killed. And all 85 priests were put to death. Only one, the son of Ahimelech, escaped and fled to David and carried with him something called the ephod, which was evidently a part of the high priest's garment. It would be some symbol, some representation of intercession and the presence of the Lord. He carried that with him, found David. David could have called a council of any of the 600. But those 600, many if not all of them, had betrayed him, had turned on him. We need to kill him. Look what's happened. But listen to this. In the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst, there was one man who hadn't turned on him. There was one man who hadn't given up his trust in him, and it was Abiathar. And David Ask Abiathar to come, some would say, to seek the Lord, that this is a reference of the Uman and Thummim, where the priests are sort of like spiritual dice, that they would ask a question, they'd roll it, and if it came up in a certain way, they would know the answer of the Lord. We don't know that that was the case, because we just, all there was just this one part of the priestly garment. Either way, whether it was that way, or whether it was the Lord just saying to David, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and you shall surely rescue all. Whether it was, whether it was the, the, the roll of the spiritual dice or whether it was the Lord just somehow saying it to him. Yes, David, you pursue and you will recover all of them. David, in the company of a man that he felt like he could trust spiritually, but with a man who had been through some of his own fights, walked through some of his own sorrows, but hadn't turned his back on God. Folks, listen. You need somebody in your life like that. And I'm not saying it can't be many, but in this case with David, it was just one. It was just one. It was just one. Trouble has a way of calling out friends and name only. Do I have a witness? Trouble has a way of bringing things down to who you can trust, 
who you can open your heart up to, and you see them as a gift straight out of the Father's heart. You're going to need somebody that can hug your neck, speak a word of encouragement to you. Trouble has a way of pressing us to people who know God. Three, trouble presses you to ask the Lord what to do and expect an answer. Trouble has a way, if we let it do its intended work, has a way of pressing us to ask the Lord, what do I do? And then expecting that he'll answer. Folks, so, so that's what David did. Shall I pursue them? Will I overtake them? And the Lord answered, pursue, you shall surely overtake them. But this wasn't the first time that happened. You, you go back to, to uh, 1 Samuel 23, and David is realizing Saul is coming. Let me just read this. It's starting in verse 9. Now, David knew that Saul was plotting evil against him. So he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, thy servant has heard for certain that Saul is seeking to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Then, listen to this. He asked the Lord, particular, specific question. Will the men of Keilah surrender us into the, me into his hand? Will Saul come down just as thy servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell thy servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. So David took that to mean, we got to get out of Dodge and quick. Verse 14, David stayed in the wilderness, in the strongholds, remained in the hill country in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. How did the Lord, what was one of the ways of the Lord not delivering David into Saul's hands? It was because the Lord answered David's specific questions. Folks, one of the reasons we don't know that God really hears our prayers is because we ask such generalized prayers. And then only occasionally. What trouble will do, it brings you to the place of God, what do I do next? Not what do I do with the next 40 years of my life. What do I do next? And the Lord will answer you. The Lord will answer you. One of the things that you get when you get saved, one of the things that's a part of the new birth operating inside you is an ability to hear the voice of the Lord. My sheep, Jesus said, hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. David followed the Lord because he had heard the Lord. Don't be afraid. Don't, don't, don't think the Lord's got all this other stuff on his mind. He's God. He's infinite. He can take it all. Well, he's just too busy to answer my question. Then that talks you right out of the possibility that the Lord may want to inform you. The Lord may want to tell you. Here's what you do next. And you know what happens? When the Lord speaks in trouble, it's not unusual for there to be a promise attached to the answer. You go, you go, you pursue them, and the Lord says, and you're going to recover everything. You're going to recover everything. 
you're going to recover everything. My brother, my sister, let trouble accomplish its purpose by pressing you into the place of asking the Lord for specific things and then believing that he's going to answer what you ask him. When I say for specific things, specific direction. Specific direction. I'm telling you, when this drops 18 inches into, into business people and, and, and community working, but anywhere you've got a system and you've got to make a decision and, and people will respond to, to words of wisdom and so forth, and you're sitting there listening to all that, and you're not sure what it is that is the right answer, but you're praying, Lord, what do you, what do you, what do you say? There are so many examples of how the Lord has spoken in board meetings. When I say spoken, let it be known to the child of his sitting there in a way that that child would understand this is God. With an idea, with a timeline, with a what next, and it blows everybody else away. They say, where'd you get that? To which response, well, you really want to know? You really want me to tell you where that came from? My father. I asked him, and he spoke something to my heart. I need to, I need to shut this down, but let me give you the three that we've just mentioned. Trouble pushes you to find encouragement in the Lord. Trouble pushes you to people who know God. And trouble pushes you to ask the Lord what to do and expect an answer. Somebody's needing to hear that right now, today, right in the middle of whatever your trouble may be. Ask the Lord what to do and believe that He will give you an answer. The fourth one, quickly, trouble teaches. If you obey, and don't quit. God will do everything He promised and more. Trouble teaches you. If you obey and don't quit, God will do everything He promised and more. The Lord said to David, pursue. So that meant this wasn't just something God just did and the Malachites were all slaughtered and everybody came back um, happy and wealthy and fine. No. They were fixing to have to fight. A small war was fixing to be engaged. It was going to be David stepping back into the place of authority that God had given him and obeying his commander. I, I sometimes just sort of shake my head and drop my eyes when I hear folks saying when they get to talking about finances well I tried tithing I, I, I tried that as soon as you use the word tried it's a clear indication that what you're hoping for may never come your way it, it, it is about it is about understanding this is what the Lord wants. This is what the Lord has said. 
and I'll obey him. I will lean into this with my last breath. My last breath without the fulfillment of the promise is going to be, Lord, I trust you. I believe you. I count on you. I obey you. I obey you. I obey you. Not, well, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. No! Don't waste your time. Trouble, however, has a way of pressing you to the place of realizing it's obedience or it's nothing. If things are going to change, it'll be because God changes it and I'm a delight to Him and He desires to change in my benefit. And it is because I've humbled myself under His authority and I am going to obey Him the best I can. So David obeyed the Lord. Didn't happen immediately. Had to fight all night and all the next day. But they brought back Not just enough, not just what had been taken. But the Lord gave him more. He got back everything that had been taken. But then they they also plundered the Amalekites' plunder. They brought back what they had, the Amalekites had gotten from from other city towns in, in the area. And it's an amazing story how David, they called it David's David's spoil, David's David's treasure, the, the extra stuff. But instead of David sitting there and setting an armed guard around him, he starts figuring out who he can bless out of the spoils of war. And there's a whole list. There are probably eight or ten different names of towns and places that had been kind to David, had sheltered him and his men, had, had, had given to them what they needed in a time of great. And he, was, he, was, he dispersed in groups and in batches what the people were saying belongs to him. Folks, listen, generosity, generosity to the measure of our receiving, of our being aware of the generosity that we've received in the Lord in mercy, protection, favor, and all of that. Generosity is just a part of walking with the Lord. More blessed to give than to receive. <laughs> Amen. All right, I got I, I to quit. One, this, this one verse, 2 Chronicles 16, 9. You be this person. May we all be this person. The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the whole inhabited earth that he may show himself strong in behalf of the one whose heart is completely his. Anybody need the Lord showing himself strong in your behalf? Then it's not the the tricky way we pray or, the, or the, the outside part. It's about who owns my heart. Who owns my heart. And, and that's not just about preachers and, and Bible teachers and seminary people and praise singers. It's about all of us as ordinary people. If He owns our hearts, if He owns our hearts, and that's what trouble does. It helps to clarify who owns my heart. When it is His, then the heavens are opened for the blessings that He intends and knows that it's the time for to be dispersed. Lord, I bless you for this time in your Word and with your people today. Lord, I'm asking you in the name of Jesus that you will cause these words that are meant for specific ones of your children to be like like fire, fire to their hearts, fire of life and hope and understanding. 
thank you, Lord. It's hard for us. Our flesh will never say thank you for trouble, but our spirit says, thank you, Lord, for the circumstances of trouble that have come our way that have resulted in our being humbled, humbled before you. We don't want you to be resisting us, Lord. We want you to be granting us grace. Thank you for using even circumstances to encourage that place of humility and help us to understand that that place of humility is just a setup for blessing. Humility is just a setup for blessings that are coming. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Stand with me, will you please? And uh, prayer partners, if you'll join me here at the front. Glad to have you here this morning. And I'm, I'm telling you, you, you are the best, you are the best group in all the United States of America to preach to. I just Sunday's the best day of my week. I can't wait to get here. And and I believe that the Lord somehow will give me some things to say. And our Bible teachers the same thing as you are part of Bible study group. Some things to say that will feed the sheep. That that's that's our heart. So it doesn't matter that it's Alamo City or even connected in any organic way with us. We're just, we're just blessed that we have an opportunity by way of our streaming ministry as well as locally to, to feed the sheep as the Lord gives us instruction. Thank you for your support and your encouragement and the, the, the financial help that you are that enables us to do things um, around the world, literally, that would never happen if it weren't for your faithfulness. Bless you. Bless you. I'm going, we're going to be giving you some, some more updates on the building situation. That's still in process. And uh, just keep praying the Lord and His timing, the, the, all the delays and so forth with, with uh, the supply chains have had some degree of an effect on what's going on. But we're going to be leaving here one day and moving to a newer spot out there by 35. It's coming. It's going to happen. We'll let you know about it um, and as, we, as we get a little more information. Okay. Well, God bless you. Come this way if we can pray for you. And those Alamo City streaming family, send us a paragraph of how we can pray with you and for you, Pastor Walker at alamocity.org. All right, and if you want to, before you leave here, hug somebody's neck, shake a hand, speak to somebody a blessing as you walk out of here if you want to. God puts that in your heart to do. God bless you. God bless you.